I invite you to put yourself in my shoes for a moment. You've essentially spent the last 30 years as a working professional in the entertainment industry. You pride yourself on the quality of your work and you've just completed recording the sixth episode of a new podcast all about mistakes. You envisioned the podcast as a place where you and your guests could investigate yourselves and how the mistakes that you've made in your own lives have impacted you. Sure, it's supposed to be funny, and the best laughs, like the best stories, come to us honestly from places of genuine vulnerability. You realize after recording that your 30-minute talk with a close friend you've known for years is so far the closest you've come to exactly what you originally envisioned the podcast to be. It's the most honest and vulnerable conversation you've ever had that you knew was being recorded for other people to listen to. And also, that you recorded your entire side of the conversation into the wrong microphone. What would you do? I've decided to keep my mistake, to try to fix it as best as I can, and to release it anyway. The first chancellor of German... Oh god, I already screwed up. The first chancellor of the German Empire in the late 1800s, Otto von Bismarck once said, Fools say that they learn by experience. I prefer to profit by others' experience. <laughs> Hello, I'm AJ Fry, and welcome to the sixth episode of Mistakes Were Made, the podcast about the mistakes that we've made and what we can learn from them. The format for Mistakes Were Made was in part inspired by the TIFU or Today I Fucked Up subreddit, where people submit written stories of mistakes that they've made anonymously, like... Today I fucked up by asking a foreign government to investigate one of my political rivals. In the spirit of celebrating mistakes, I'm recording this whole podcast in one take with hopefully zero edits. New episodes arrive Monday morning, and this week I made the mistake of waiting until Sunday afternoon to figure out what to do for this episode. I do have the excuse, the excuse I should say, of having attended a midweek funeral, but more importantly, I also have hilarious and talented friends I can rely on to get me out of a jam. Like my guest today, who you might know as... The Yang to my Yin on stage at Peep Show Toronto, our city's best nerdless shows. Uh, you may also know her from her podcast, Sissy That Talk, a companion series to RuPaul's Drag Race. Or you may recognize her as the saltiest regular guest on my Twitch stream. <laughs> it's Velvet Valhalla. Welcome, mistakes were made. Uh, hi, hi, AJ. Uh, this is going to come to as a surprise to anybody who doesn't know who I am because you just used female pronouns and a very masculine voice just popped in. So yes, uh, well, there you go. I also well, want to thank you. Go, go. Is my microphone even working? This could be a major mistake. I'm like looking over at my computer screen and it's showing up as the tiniest little bar, but I am seeing levels. I can't tell, AJ. I'm on my own microphone using my professional podcast rig. <laughs> so, You're better at uh, this than I am. Well, I make, I've, I've had a lot of time to learn. I make much, much less mistakes. Yes. Well, how my language long... right now is not that good. <laughs> How long have you been performing, Velvet Valhalla? Uh, that's a really uh, tough... I, I mean, I've been performing since I was in high school, really. Uh, yeah. Doing stuff there, but it was kind of when I was in high school that, uh, you know, I didn't really pursue it as hard as I could have if I really wanted to do that, even though that's what I thought I wanted to do when I was in high school. And it wasn't until I applied to colleges trying to go and get into performing co arts colleges and i applied mm. to a technical program on a whim and uh i got into that but i got into no performance programs whatsoever that uh in my first two or three months of doing production school i realized that uh for real i it would be stupid for me to try to do any sort of performing arts stuff what they were doing upstairs at my college was stupid 
and I would <laughs> never have been able to do that. And I totally picked the right lane. And that's kind of led to, you know, my 12 or 13 year career now working in live entertainment. Um, and then I do this on the side. Yeah, you work from the from behind the scenes doing lighting and rigging and all kinds of technical stuff. Yeah, yeah. So what I do, what I actually do when people don't see me just talking shit on stage or talking shit in your Twitch, Twitch stream or just talking shit on my podcast is that I, I work backstage. I do lighting for it started with theater and then moved into rock and roll. And uh, now most recently I'm doing a lot more television. And uh, yeah, I've toured. I've, I've done all sorts of stuff. I've 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 had a life. Mm. <laughs> but we know <laughs> you as your lovable persona velvet valhalla so when did she come into the scene so uh velvet is sort of uh the first time i ever did drag let's let's get it right into that the first time i ever did drag was for halloween when i was in high school uh i did drag once there and uh kind of had a good time doing that so it was always sort of in like my back pocket i did it another time when i was in high school and uh when i was in high school we were making we were like writing plays and what we were doing is we were writing plays based upon movies or movie-like plays, and that's what we were putting up on stage. Like, I, we wrote a play called Friday the 13th, the musical Jason Takes the Stage. And then we wrote another one that was basically sort of based around, like, 60s sci-fi. And in that, I played a character called Emperor Gangrene, who was sort of like a Frankenfurter-esque character. Uh, that was okay. also kind of an element of sort of how Velvet began and drag began. And whenever I moved away to college, I kept a whole bunch of that gangrene stuff that I had, and I brought it with me, and I chose to go to the Rocky Horror Picture Show for the very first time, and I pulled a whole bunch of that stuff out. And I went to the Rocky Horror Picture Show for the first time with a whole bunch of people that I was in my in my class at pro, the production school that I went to. And mm. um, that is sort of kind of where it all started. I started going to Rocky Horror, started doing all that. And uh, then I joined the cast for Rocky Horror, and I started as Brad Majors, and I did that for about a year. Some people dispute that, but I think that they're all wrong. I did that for about a year, and then after that, they couldn't find another Frankenfurter. So they just said, I said, fuck it, I'll do whatever. I'll be Frankenfurter. So I chose to do Frankenfurter. I was Frankenfurter, and I did one awful show, and pictures came back from it. And they were the, the worst. They were so bad. And, <laughs> and they were so bad that I told myself that I will not make a fool of myself on stage like that again. I w- I'm going to teach myself how to do makeup and how to do all of this stuff. And that's sort of how Velvet was born. I, I went down a rabbit hole, a YouTube rabbit hole, which was really hard to do 10 years ago. Um, right. Actually, it was even longer than that, 10 or 12 years ago, when YouTube videos were about only 5 or 10 minutes long of just watching people do makeup and buying makeup and teaching myself how to do makeup. And I taught myself how to do Frankenfurter makeup by doing my own face and drag. And mm. because of doing that, I would go to shows on Halloween where I would have to be in the audience. And I would go to those shows and drag, and then I would Frankenfurter myself up and then go back out. Because of doing that, everybody who had peep, who was doing peep shows, they were all friends of mine from the Rocky Horror community. They were like, yeah. hey, why don't you just do drag and host this show? And that is how Velvet was born. Velvet was born. All of those things led to Velvet being born whenever I started hosting burlesque shows uh, in in full face. And that was all just kind Mm. of based upon my insanity, really. Like, uh, whenever I pick something up, I I just become obsessive about it. That's just sort of one thing about me. I know that from introducing you to Minecraft recently. (laughs) Uh, Yes, you can can tell. And if there's one thing I really enjoy doing, I, I like I like building things. I like to uh, 
Like I like building, yeah. I like learning mechanical skills. I'm not much of a reader, like a book reader. I'm not too big into fiction, but what I am really big into is kind of mechanical skills and building things and learning that kind of stuff. So drag is a mechanical skill. It's painting on your face. So um, I know I caught I caught the bug like that pretty hard, and now it's been well over ten years since I first came up with my name of Velvet, and here I am. Right. You know, doing doing all of this stuff while still trying to have a life. What a real what a what a sitcom that would be. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say it's uh it's interesting to hear you bring up um Rocky Horror and Frankenfurter as part of your uh entryway into uh the art of drag performance. I um have not really done any myself, uh though for a interspace story some years ago I was taken by a producer to uh, there's a like lineup of uh, Mac Cosmetics celebrating some anniversary of Rocky Horror, and so they were gonna make me up as Frankenfurter, mm. um, and then my producer wanted me to like act the part of Frankenfurter and be pouty and um, you know <laughs> sexy and flirty with the camera and such. And I was like, well, if I was cast to play Frankenfurter in a production and I was in character within the context of the scene. I guess I'd be comfortable doing that. But what I am right now is a television show host who goes by my real name and I'm dressed up as Frankenfurter. And this is not what I normally look like. This is not what I normally behave like. This feels very weird for me. And it, it did kind of give me, you know, some introspection on what it must be like for people who are, you know, in, in the process of transitioning or curious about transitioning and, and playing with gender roles and such, which is not something I'd ever really considered before. But I did want to ask them, like, your introduction to drag doesn't come from that place. Uh, I don't know what you identify as uh, on the sexual orientation spectrum. We've been friends for years. I've never thought to ask. But I do know you were once married to a woman. I am. Um, so, yeah, I guess I don't know how to politely ask. But I do kind of want to ask about don't your feelings polite. on... on I, I assume maybe you're straight identifying. And I know that a lot of the drag community isn't that way although there certainly are straight drag performers out there there are so. a few there are a few straight drag performers uh but yeah. very few and far between uh yes i am a straight drag performer that is that is what i am um uh, the mask that i put on as velvet is a mask that uh it's like anything it's like any kind of war paint that you put on it it you yeah. know, it changes your persona. I, I always try to hearken it a lot to wrestling because uh, I'm a big professional wrestling fan. And everyone says that the best professional wrestling characters are your own personality ramped up to 11. And to me, mm. Velvet, Velvet is sort of Velvet is sort of the uncensored version of me. It is everything that if I'm in my real life and I'm I, I'm hesitant to say something if i'm if i'm done up and i'm on stage and i have a microphone there is nothing that i will not and cannot say uh, yeah. at at that point and it's it's kind of very freeing that way and i mean that that's a lot of that comes to a lot of drag that is drag in general is that a lot of people find that uh, when they put the face on and they put their tits and tights in that there's there's a freeing element to doing you know all of the stuff the di this discomfort that comes from um from doing drag because drag is not at all comfortable um yeah but to me drag is not political uh, to most people it is but uh to me uh, entertainment is entertainment and politics is politics and i try to keep both of them separate and uh mm. as best as best i can 
And that's a difficult thing in in kind of the current climate with everything that hell that's going down. Uh, yeah. I, you, you had me on here during Trump impeachment week, AJ. So what, yeah. what fun is that? <laughs> That's the, uh, for anyone listening in the future, it's the first Trump impeachment uh, week, we should say. <laughs> Hopefully the final one, whatever the hell that is. But Well, we'll um, see how many more could possibly... Uh, who knows? <laughs> who, bloody, who bloody knows at this point? Yeah. But, uh, uh, but that's what it is. Like, drag in sort of in and of its essence is a fuck you. Um, it is uh, sort of a shirking uh, or a, a shedding of gender roles and gender stereotypes. And mm. when I'm in drag, I, I don't change much about myself other than my outward appearance. My voice sounds the exact same as probably what you're hearing right now. And yeah, uh, yeah I'm just a bit more free with my language. It's interesting to try to play with you on stage because of that, you know, nature that you have with the mask of drag that you can say anything. Yes. My first couple of peep show performances, I realized, even as I just sort of dipped my toes into the water of saying certain things, that, like, it doesn't quite read the same way when it's a straight guy in a suit saying certain things. Um, uh, and that's you know, another big reason why that uh, I still pursue doing drag, whatever I'm hosting things on stage. When we first started peep show, we did have two hosts, and they, and they were two guys. And if it was two guys yeah. on stage, it can come off as misogynistic. Uh, but as soon as you put one of those guys in a dress, something happens. There's a, there's a change yeah. there. And whether or yeah. not you want to admit that and you want to put whatever politics you want to put on that, there's something that makes it a little bit more okay. And I'm not saying that I use my drag as a shield to say whatever the fuck I want. But it's definitely in my arsenal. It definitely affords me the ability to do things that I can't do as a straight white male. Um, yeah. Like, whenever I put it that way, it seems like all I'm doing is just being a fake. And, and I'm not because, like, I've been doing drag for a long-ass time. I was doing drag before it was cool with RuPaul's Drag Race like it is right now. Like, like drag right now is way cooler <laughs> and way more accessible. It's having its moment than it's, it's ever, moment, ever, yeah. ever has been. And when I was doing it, it, it was like there was only a handful of people on five-minute YouTube clips, and it was very difficult to learn. Mm. Have you have you been the victim of harassment? Making oh, God, yeah. One, right, absolutely. Previous engagements? I yeah, yeah, yeah really... absolutely. That's, that's, yeah. that's all part of it. And that's why I understand it. That's that's why I can understand a lot about the the trials that a lot of people who are in the transgender cross-dressing community kind of really goes through. Because, yes, I have dealt with all of those things, every single one of them. Mm. In fact, I've even put myself into into some of them by doing, you know, different things where I, I went out in half drag a couple of times. Like I uh, when uh, the Pythons all got back together and they had a stage screening, uh, I went in a in a garter belt in suspenders and a big green bra to go and watch it. And then afterwards, I walked through Kensington Market and then went to uh, Christy Pitts and watched another movie, just like all kind of weirded out. And it, it, everybody was talking to me during that time. <laughs> I had no makeup. There was there was nothing going on there that that people couldn't really get going on. But uh, that was a thing. I uh, I did a I did a story for Innerspace once where I uh, had my face totally painted up like a a reptile using. Uh... It was like airbrush work um, using ancient symbols. And my face was just like bizarre. And, uh, you know, of course, at the end of the shoot, they're like, we, you know, you want some makeup wipes? You can take that stuff off. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm That's going right. home like this. <laughs> I want to walk through the city of Toronto and see how people react to my face. I did the same thing with that uh, Rocky Horror shoot. 
as well. So, but I only had, you know, my walk home back then was only a couple of blocks. So it wasn't a lot of time to be harassed by anyone, just mostly people turning their heads, giving me funny looks. Yeah, when I, whenever I first started doing this, I was living in the other other end of the city, so I was mm. commuting for at least an hour, uh, and then transferring two or three times doing that. And uh, I mean, I'm lucky that my makeup skills are as such, or at least they started out as such. That uh, my favorite thing is making people question. Yeah, I, I enjoy doing that when people have no idea what to make of me. They could look for me far away and then wonder who the hell I am, and then they get totally taken back and they're on the back foot whenever as soon as I open my mouth. Right. And if I have people in that situation, that affords me so much leeway uh, and ability to be able to to kind of you know manipulate them the way that I want to have them manipulated as a host of a show. Mm. Not like in a in a you know in a a malicious kind of manipulation way, but if somebody's already on a back foot, they're more willing to begin accepting other things that are happening as they happen. Mm. And they open up a little bit more because it because they start feeling uncomfortable and then I can start bringing them back from that. Because there's nothing I love more whenever I'm on stage than digging myself a big old hole and having to get myself out of it. Yeah. That's my favorite thing to do. I love doing that. I love trying to toe the line and I love having an audience turn on me so that I can bring them back. I want to take everybody on a journey. Yeah. Uh, it was something that I noticed about you watching those early peep show shows and uh, really grew appreciate and uh, admire. So it's been a delight working with you being up there on stage while you're digging yourself into a hole. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, look, AJ, I think the, the biggest mistake that you've made was probably agreeing to do it with me because I'm a pain in the ass on show days. I frequently do not show up on time, if at all on time. Yeah. Um, like, like... We that. don't, we don't, I don't talk about anything. I don't want to talk about anything before the show happens. I just want to let the show happen. Like I'm an improviser at heart. If that's, if there's one thing that I am, it's, it's an improviser. Yeah. And, uh, that's, that's kind of the core that I have in here. I want to go in there. I want to experience it. I want to feel it. And I want to give genuine emotions to the people mm. who are watching in the audience. And that's how I feel like I connect to people better than that's the best way that I feel like connect to people. And that's why I think people actually enjoy my hosting style, because they can tell that I'm not phony when I'm on stage. Uh, mm. I do my best to try to be as genuine and honest as I can while being in a giant wig and high heels and fake tits. Mm -hmm. So how honest can I be while being the fakest I could possibly be? It's great. If only I had that statement to have used on the last episode of the podcast as the tease <laughs> for this episode. I try to be as honest as I can be in yeah. heels and fake tits. There you go. Quote, That's what I Velvet Valhalla. Yeah. Um, so do you want to be honest and talk about Bring it. your your marriage? Cause, uh, oh, shit. Uh, okay. Yeah. This is something I, I know about only tangentially through social media. I will tell a story of my own uh, failed first marriage um, because I feel it's only fair in this, uh, you know, mistakes were made. Yep. Give some context. Um, around the time that we would have first been introduced, I was still with my ex, who was my my wife, at least uh, common law. We were never uh, common law, yeah. married in a, in a ceremony or anything like that. And towards the end of our relationship, I did ultimately propose at some point when we were broken up because I was, you know, uh, approaching 30 and dealing with uh, feelings of what if I never meet anyone ever again who I connect yeah. with and uh, no, we, we should be together and we'll go to counseling and we'll figure out how to make this relationship work, which is, you know, just a big mistake on my part. <laughs> I should have just celebrated the freedom that I was finally offered um, <laughs> from 
from this woman who I have no ill will towards, but I look back on our relationship as just a series of mistakes made in my past. Things that have taught me valuable lessons. I think I'm a better partner now for having been through that relationship for sure. But uh, I, I know of what it is like to uh, wind up with the wrong woman. But I know that there's some interesting circumstance surrounding your story of your marriage. And I, I don't know how much you want to share. And I won't huh. push you if there's things you don't want to go into. But if you want to tell us the story of how you found yourself wedded, married, I'm kind of keen to hear what your perspective on it is. I'm interested that you think that there is there's an interesting circumstances around how I was married. Uh, okay, either way. Okay, you know what? Let's fuck it. Do you want me to it because... ask? Because I can give you what no. context I have, but I, sure, I'd like no, to know no, your story. I would, I would love to hear that context, and then I will be perfectly honest with you. Well, I know that your your bride was not a Canadian. Correct. And that you guys got married relatively quickly. Relatively, yes, that is true. And that you also got separated relatively quickly. Relatively, on the grand scheme of things, yes. Okay, well, that's, that's the context it. that I have. Okay. Uh, okay, so here's the thing. Um, this is this is a podcast called Mistakes Are Made. Would I say that my uh, failed marriage was a mistake? No, because in the circumstances, uh, if I were put in those circumstances again, I would do it again, 100%. Yeah. That's the way it is. The problem is, is that, uh, you know, um, in order to get and do the things that I have done, to get to the position that I'm in right now, career-wise and all that kind of stuff, I've made a lot of sacrifices. And mm -hmm. a lot of those sacrifices, the biggest people who have ever been sort of um, uh, casualties of the sacrifices that I've had to make have been the, 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 my family and the people that I'm closest to. Mm. Because uh, really, when it comes down to it, I am pretty happy being alone for the most part. More than most people are happy to be alone i don't need a lot of you know kind of like i don't need to be around people a lot like i can right. see you once every six months and that normally makes me happy for the most part and yeah. most people can't and most people can't deal with that uh but i have also made a ton of mistakes in it to to get where i'm at that uh i mean i still haven't you know dealt with the mistakes that i've made in order to to make that happen uh, in terms of, you know, financials and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so You've really danced around starting a story, though. Well, I'm just trying to figure out how to start that story because a lot of it is my fault. <laughs> okay. Like, a lot, a lot of it's my fault, and a lot of it has to do with the, with the fact that uh, I, I've had, like, an ongoing tax situation that I've had to deal with. Um, okay. And because of that, it's made it very difficult to... Uh, to try to have the stability that I have felt comfortable to be able to try to bring somebody else into my life. And mm. uh, I tried really hard with her to try to work that out, but ultimately it was a hurdle that I was never able to come up with. And I am, I'm incredibly harsh on myself over the situation. Mm. Like I blame, I blame myself almost entirely for the whole reason why my, my marriage failed a hundred percent. There's, like at the end of the day, you can't blame anybody else. You have to you have to look in the mirror and you have to accept um, you have to accept your your own actions. Mm. That's that's just the way that that it works out. Um, but because of those situations, because of the distance, uh, because I'm really comfortable being alone and I don't have to see people 
and especially if they start becoming family like i see my family once a year and that's something that's actually you know it kind of really does bother me mm. like i'm it's thanksgiving next weekend i'm not gonna be able to go see my family i'm gonna be working yeah like that's that's the way it is christmas is the only time i'm able to go and, and, and make it work and if if it's not around christmas it's either i'm trying to find work or i'm in the middle of working or you know i'm stuck in a depression in between work so it's one of those things and all of those factors together just uh make it really difficult to kind of for me to be really close to somebody and for me to stay close to somebody and the things that i need in order to feel like i'm close to somebody are not the things that the average person needs or wants in a committed long-term relationship mm -hmm. And that is something that I am trying to deal with because my nature and what I want are two different things. It, it really, whenever it comes, whenever we boil it all the way down into uh, into sort of kind of how I am and, and how relationships are with me. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Did I did I answer your question at all or did I just totally dance around everything? <laughs> I was kind of anticipating a story that would have gone along. Well, I met her in this circumstance. We spent this many, you know, walking us through a relationship. But I think I've gotten to know you a lot better through that answer. I'm not sure exactly what the mistake was made. I know that or what what mistake was made, I should say. I know that you have some tax it's a, issues, it's a, but that's, it's that's a, fine. You don't want record of that for the government of Canada. To no, no. It is, it, it, the, th the thing is, though, is that there are too many mistakes that I have. There's too many mistakes that I've made mm. that led up to that. Mm -hmm. And those are the same mistakes that have caused me a lot of personal turmoil across the board. Mm. Um, like, for example, early, early on in my career, in the first five or so years uh, i was really close to my grandmother she was like um a second mother to me she was like i was really really close to her and she got cancer she got lung cancer mm. and i heard about that and uh, i was devastated because I, I didn't know what was going on i didn't know how to deal with it and i wasn't making a lot of money back then so i couldn't just you know uproot everything and then leave uh i'm just too single-minded about that and selfish i would say i'm also selfish about about kind of my career choices um, and I remember the day that she died because I was working and previously I had hurt myself. I had rolled my ankle so bad that I couldn't walk for about a month mm -hmm. during this whole time that my grandmother was was basically in the hospital just about to die of cancer in a situation that uh, I don't think that she even told us in the family how severe the situation was. Right. I think that she was trying to keep a stiff upper lip about it and not really tell us exactly what was going on um and i remember hurting myself and i my ankle was just better and i went back on my first show and my whole thought as i was on the streetcar on my way to this job was uh i'm gonna i'm gonna get make a little bit of money and it's gonna you know give me and afford me the time that i can go home and i can see my grandmother before she passes away mm. and it was on that day on that show that i got the phone call that she died mm. and um I can't remember the last time. I can't remember the last thing that she actually said to me. Mm. And this is the first time I've ever said that out loud. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's got me. Yeah, this is a bit heavier than I thought you were you were going to get into, but um, uh, you know, there it is. If you're feeling I, okay uh, about it, I'm happy we're here, man. How how long have we been friends? Um, we've been friends. I don't know. God, I have no idea how long we've been friends for. I mean, um, I met you before I met yeah. my wife, and I'll be celebrating my seven-year uh, yeah. anniversary of being with my wife 
Really? Um, yeah, this December. Wow. And I don't think we've ever had any heavy talks, man. No, no, we really haven't had really many heavy talks. But uh, so just, the fact that I can't... We play games together and shoot because shit. we play games, we talk shit. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty, much, that's pretty much what it is. Yeah. But uh, the fact that I can't remember the last conversation I had with my grandmother is something that still haunts me today. Mm-hmm. It's a huge mistake that I made. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, you know, well, hey, look, comedy podcast. How's that going for everybody <laughs> at home? There you go. I, I can't recall any of my final conversations with my grandparents, aside from my grandmother, because it was a circumstance where I got the call that my grandma was passing. Granted, I, I was never as close with my grandmother as, as uh, clearly you were with yours um, yeah. while I was working as well. And my mom called to say that she was in the process of passing. And if I wanted to say anything to her, she would put the phone next to her ear. Although she wasn't really lucid at the time. So who knows what she might have gotten from it. Yeah, yeah. I think that my last memory of her that I'm certain of is that I I came home after school and I was leaving to go back to the city. And she was standing in front of the door into the kitchen and she cried. Mm-hmm. And I hugged her and I said everything was going to be fine. Um, thinking about it, she probably knew that she was dying at that point. But she didn't tell anybody yet. Wow. So, yeah, that was a thing. And I think you got to forgive yourself a little bit because it was your grandma who was keeping things secret. And if you were aware of the severity of things, oh, God. you might have behaved a bit differently. A- absolutely. And, and, I mean, it's not something that I totally blame myself. It's not – there's no guilt there, really. Like, there, there's, there's regret. Mm. And it was a mistake that I – it's I don't know. It's it's really difficult. People who know me are going to listen to this, and I'm going to be getting phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but that's I mean, th- th- they're right there. We just covered two of the biggest mistakes, regrets that I've made in my whole life, mm. basically. Um, that I don't even know if I've ever. I don't even know who I've told that to. Uh, there's a weird thing about me is that I have a tendency to open up a lot more when I'm in a public forum than I do in private. If I'm in private, I'm very private. But if I'm on a stage, or uh, when I was Twitch streaming a lot, yeah. and somebody asked me a question, I will be so frank, yeah. and I will not pull any punches, and I will tell 100% the honest truth, uh, regardless of, of what it is. I will tell that stuff. And uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's weird. It's the talking therapy, yeah, really. Yeah, that's my attitude with, kind this, of what it comes down with to. this podcast, is that you know I similarly have made a lot of mistakes, and... Uh... For the public record, I will be as frank and as honest as possible. That's true. About them. Uh, whereas, you know, when you're getting to know someone, you might um, blur those edges a little bit, mute it some, hold back a little because you're hoping that, you know, they, they grow to like you. You want them to be part of your life uh, for whatever reasons, you know. But when you're recording something for the public yeah. record, it's like, no, try to be honest. Absolutely. When you're speaking in so, public. So, to be honest, then, AJ. Have you ever shit your pants? Have I ever shit my pants? In adulthood. In adulthood. Ah, let me think back on that one. I definitely was once, in a, as an adult, I can't recall, no. No. Yeah, you, you shit your pants. Yeah, there was, I can recall a couple of instances as, as a child, for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, I shit but my pajama child, pants though. while wrestling with my dad once, which was quite funny. 
I, I can vividly recall the feeling of the logs rolling down my leg and onto the carpet. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but I can't recall as an adult. No. Yeah, because I have shit my pants as an adult. And I'm going to tell you that is a mistake. Though that's a mistake that, you, that if you do it once, I'm just trying to lighten this up a bit. Right. I'm shit your pants for it. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we talk death, but then we close on a high note talking about yeah, shitting we our close, pants. Yeah, we're talking about shitting our pants. Yeah, so uh, yeah, so I've shit my pants once before, and it right. was, it's the worst experience that haunts me to this day. Huh. In terms of silly, in terms, in terms of silly experiences, I, I finished a show late at night. Yeah. And uh, I was I was down at the harbor front when I was doing the show, and I really had to go to the bathroom, but I didn't realize how bad it was until I was about four blocks away from the harbor front. Uh-oh. And I'm like, oh my god. This is the worst. This is the worst thing that has ever happened in my life. Yeah. This is bad. I'm walk I and I'm like I have to get home and there is no transit to get me home and I couldn't afford to get a cab. It was bad. Everywhere I and, and it was like at 1 or 2 in the morning. Oh, it was terrible. No. So I'm like walking down the street and I'm looking everywhere for a bathroom. I'm trying to find one. Every restaurant's closed. Oh yeah. Everything is closed. And like McDonald's are closed and there's nothing worse in life. Than, than going to a McDonald's that should be, always be open and having it be closed in front of you. Ooh. Like, McDonald's should be 24-7 everywhere. Yeah. That's just the way it is. Nothing. I couldn't find anything. Finally, I'm just, like, I'm just going through my head. I'm just trying to figure things out. I'm just, like, I'm talking to myself in my head. I'm like, okay, please don't shit your pants. You, get, you can't shit your pants. You got to figure something out right now. Where's the bathroom? Where's the closest bathroom? What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? What can you do? And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Uh, in my job... I go to a lot of hotels and I work in a lot of hotels. So I know a lot oh, of yeah, hotels are great for bathrooms. Exactly. But I also know a lot of the convention halls in the hotels because I know if I walk into any hotel that they're just going to not let me go. They're not going to let me in. So I'm like, okay, well, the Sheridan downtown has a conference hall with two giant bathrooms on the inside. All I have to do is make it there. Those conference halls are open 24-7. If somebody asks me who I am, I'm going to be like, hey, I'm working for X production company, and I'll just play dumb. Yeah. Perfect. Okay, this is the plan. This is the plan. And I'm walking there, and I'm walking there, and I'm just duck walking at this point. Like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I'm, I'm duck walking. I'm trying my best to do it. And then the next thing you know, it's like the Sheridan's right there around the corner, and I just it just happens. I just can't stop. And I, I, I dive into an alleyway, and I just – the most horrendous thing that's ever happened in my life. It's just a volcano that just comes out of my ass. It is the fucking worst. It is the absolute worst. Uh-huh. So I'm sitting there, and I'm shitting in an alleyway. And I've never been more embarrassed with my pants around my ankles shitting in this alleyway being like, oh, fuck. What am I doing? But I can't stop. And it's, and it's, it's not like – you know, a nice little, I've just had a whole bunch of fiber logs. No, this is a volcano. This is like, this, this is like, like a water cannon that is coming out and it is the absolute worst. And I'm sitting there and I can't do it. And I'm like, I'm like having an existential crisis in my mind as I'm squatted in this alleyway. And then finally it's over. And I'm like, Oh my God, it's over. And then I realize I have to clean up Yeah. and I'm just like, Oh shit. And I'm like, there's no way I'm cleaning up the shit off the alleyway. I have to pull my pants up, and I have to run away as fast as I possibly can. Yeah. So I pull my pants up, and I run into the Sheridan bathroom downstairs so I could just try to clean myself up yeah. as much as I can. Embarrassed as fuck that nobody, can, that nobody can see me. And I'm like, Jesus, what do I do? What do I do? And I pull up my underwear, and it's a fucking Pollock painting. Right. And I'm like, I can't put these back on. <laughs> this is the worst. So I'm like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I like wrap my underwear in toilet paper, and I put it in my bag. And then I clean up and I put my pants on as best I possibly can with no underwear on. 
and I'm wearing like cargo pants and wearing work pants and I'm like shit this is the worst mm. and then like I run outside and I I throw my underwear in the in the in the trash <laughs> and then just and now I have to get home and I I don't know if I smell like shit I don't know what's going on I'm not sure what's happening uh and and that that was one of the most uncomfortable nights of my entire life that was truly a mistake that I made <laughs> you made it home okay then I well yes without underwear. did you walk all the way did you get in a cab no How'd no no I I got I got into a streetcar yeah I got into a streetcar and I made and I made it home in a streetcar mm. uh but uh but very very different feeling very different feeling and it's it's an experience that haunts me to this day right it's an absolutely an experience that haunts me to this day when you shit your pants once. Everything is off limits from that point because you know that it can happen. Yeah. It never becomes an impossibility. I'm sure in your mind right now, you're like, I'll never shit my pants. I'm sure a lot of people listening right now will say, I will never shit my pants. I've definitely had some close calls, but it's never, it's never come to it. Yes. So far. No, it's bad. All right. I'll I'll try to be prepared for when it happens to me. (laughs) That's, I think that's just really what I want everybody to walk away from this podcast. Yeah. Uh, Pack a second pair of underwear. Well, I just want everyone to be aware because shitting your pants is a serious thing. Yeah. And uh, I don't think that I don't think enough people talk about their shitting their pants situation, especially on a platform as a platform like this. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think that more people need to to think about that and, and really ask their friends and loved ones, "Have you shit your pants?" Mm. Well, ask yourself that. I wonder... In fact, in fact, ask AJ that. AJ for at AJ Fry on Twitter. <laughs> If you have a shit your pants story, send it to AJ Fry on Twitter. I actually and, was, uh, and, and he'll read them on the next podcast. I was going to do a call for submissions of of stories, but I haven't set up the anonymous email account yet. Uh, but that is one of my oh, goals. An, an anonymous. An anonymous. I, you know what? I guess nobody's going to want to use their Twitter handle. No. To to tell a shit their pants. Or any story. kind of. You're going to get like. Oh, or yeah, I guess any kind of embarrassing yes. story. So I hope I hope that there are people out there who have shit their pants. Please make some sort of dummy account. It's like, you know, I, shit my pants no, embarrassed. No, I, I don't want to just be the today I shit my pants podcast. This is mistakes were made. It oh, can include the occasional shit my pants story, but you're trying to pigeonhole today me. Today I shit. Into... <laughs> trying to pigeonhole today me Today I Velvet. shit. Always with the excellent trolls. Yes. Well, Velvet, thank you very much for joining me here. Uh, you're hosting Peep Shows. Thank you, AJ. Trick or Tease this weekend at the Great Hall Solo. Friday. Yeah. And folks yeah. can find it's been a while. tickets uh, online at Peep Show. TO.com. You can also find uh, Sissy That Talk wherever fine podcasts are sold. Yeah, VelvetVahala.com is where the podcasts are, are at or where po- uh, all fine podcasts are. All right. Are found. Well, if you folks out there enjoyed this episode of Mistakes Were Made, please leave a rating. Tell your friends. I'm still making all kinds of mistakes. And if you've noticed one or have an idea of how to improve the podcast, I'd love to hear it. I'd also love to hear your how you shit your pants story. So please send me any and all <laughs> comments or criticisms. How I shit my pants. <laughs> how? Uh, I'm at AJ Fry on all the things. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the future. Thanks again, Velvet. No problem.